Welcome back to the podcast series, Machine Learning and AI Applications. And this is your host, Raghu Banda. Today, I will be discussing with a distinguished speaker on the concept of culture of innovation and also the workflow process automation. Like I've explained in my last podcast, this is a two-part series. In the first part, we have discussed about robotic process automation and the content released by SAP in that context. So today in the part two, I will be speaking and having a conversation with one of our distinguished speakers from SAP. He heads the Innovation and Strategic Projects Office. His name is Lucas N.P. Eger. He has founded multiple companies in the past in Berlin and helped scale data science and machine learning teams. He even has movie credits for his work in computer graphics research and also published a book on philosophy. Though these topics of computer graphics and philosophy are very interesting to me, I will not be discussing that in today's podcast. Maybe I'll be doing it some other time. He's a very passionate leader, and I look forward to having this conversation with him. Like always, we'll provide more information at the end of this conversation for you to understand where, what are the next steps, and so on and so forth. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. All right, welcome back. This is Raghu Banda again with our uh, podcast series, Machine Learning and AI Applications. So today I have an interesting conversation and I have invited an SAP guest. Uh, and this is in the context of innovation and the culture of innovation and how AI uh, can be leveraged in the kind of context of uh, innovation. There are quite a few things I think I would like to mention about Lucas. I think uh, before I get started on that, maybe I want to do a brief introduction. Lucas is leading the Innovation Office and Strategic Projects at SAP Signavio. The Innovation Office and Strategic Projects Office is basically tasked to de-risk new product ideas and establish the best in product uh, discovery practices. Before joining SAP Signavio, Lucas led a data monetization practice and he founded multiple companies in Berlin and also helped scale data science and machine learning teams. He has also have some movie credits for his work in computer graphics research and also published a book on philosophy. So I have been talking quite a lot about these people, processes, and technologies in the context of AI, as you might know in my earlier sessions. So Lucas is one such guest who is very passionate about the intersection of technology and people. And he also speaks on a regular basis about how to improve organizations. So in all this context, I think it's much more exciting to speak with uh, Lucas. And welcome you on board, Lucas. Can you say a few words as well? Thank you. So first of all, thank you for having me. Hi, Raghu. And it's a pleasure to talk about innovation and AI and organizational development. Well, today with you. And I guess for me, the important part has never been just 
like one aspect, right? Whether you call it AI, like I'm that old that when I started with um, all of that stuff, we worked on conditional random fields and called it machine learning or data science. So, I mean, A, that's a testimony to my age, but B, also, you know, there is, there's an inherent, like, um, like limit to, to every trend. But what is constant is that by use of smart technology, we can improve, be more efficient and can do more. And that the key part of making it work rarely is the technology, but rather is the way in which we implement and work together. And there is a quip and I, I really love it. And, and uh, because it just rings so true to me um, is that we have like the emotions of cavemen, the institution from the middle ages and the technology of gods. And to me, that means Yes, we often focus on technology and rightly so because they're immensely powerful and they instill us with awe and, and excitement. But uh, in the daily practice of making stuff work, which is just a way of saying to create value, it's bringing in people and making it work for people. And that's why I feel like it's not different subjects, but rather innovation management, de-risking, product discovery, AI, all of those fields have a common denominator. And that one is fundamentally uh, a, an affair about people, about organizations and how to manage them. And yes, so I'm excited about it and I'm happy to talk to you about any of those questions your audience might be interested in. Beautiful, I think I'll, I like the introduction aspect of uh, how you put it. So before we start or ease into our conversation, uh, maybe we can, um, I have this question, like I keep putting these teaser questions in different ways with our guests who get on board. Uh, maybe I think you can help explain our audience, which AI projects are you most excited about at the moment and why? Maybe this is mm -hmm. what you are working on or what you know are happening in the world across us. I mean, obviously, I'm very excited about the projects we work on within Signavio and SAP. And there's a couple I, I would want to point out. Um, but I, on a grander scale, let's start with the big ticket items first, and then let's go to the, to the more concrete or more tangible stuff. Um, I'm very excited in a way about its ramifications and impact on the world. Um, all these generative models. So just lately, um, and for the audience, we're recording this in at the end of 2022. So diffusion models and models that are capable of creating art or pictures uh, based on user prompts mm -hmm. are now all the rage. Why? Because I think there has been like, you know, when you work in, when you see special effects, you know, I want to give an analogy. When you see special effects, there is what they call the uncanny valley. Mm -hmm. Like you have, let's say, a robot or an android that looks like a human. There's always like, like if it doesn't look too much like a human, it's cute and you anthropomorphize it. But in order to be perfect, it really needs to be perfect because if it's quasi-perfect, it's uncanny. It looks like, oh, it's weird and it stirs emotion. And I think in a sense, like we are ex experiencing this uncanny valley 
in this field for the first time for a really artistic domain. Mm-hmm. So we see that, well, the technology is not quite there yet. I cannot just, you know, just make spells like in, like invocations and say like, I dream of this world and paint it for me. But it's so close that it really either bothers us or excites us, but it, it touches emotions, right? And on multiple levels, that's super interesting because A, it shows that data-driven innovation or let's say AI or whatever you want to call it, it does not limit itself to any specific domain, right? right? It can be the arts as much as it can be, you know, CT tomography in, you know, in the medical field or tabular data for the prediction of user churn, right? Everything is, 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 is possible, like in terms of domains when we apply ourselves to it. And the other thing is um, that it probably foreshadows a way in which we will have to work with AI. And this is not about making humans obsolete and like the automation, like to automate everything, but rather how can we augment people Mm -hmm. to do whatever they want to do faster, better, bigger, like to supercharge innate abilities. And I think why this resonates with so many people and why this now is like in a bigger context is because it also then shows us a mirror of like what what is humanity in a sense because so far we always fancied ourselves as the only entity that can be generally creative and now being thrown back into maybe a little bit different position is okay i don't want to make it sound too grandiose but when kepler and galilei mm-hmm. put humanity into its place because the sun wasn't at this, you know, the earth wasn't at the center of the universe. The sun was all like started to be what everything revolves around to. I think in a way, AI will have a little bit that effect to our self-identity. So I think this generative models that create what we now perceive as art is a very monumentous like affair. I feel like it sparks so many interesting conversations and it also gives us a lot of ideas how AI and people should work together. And now tracing this back to your initial conversation, what I'm excited about, I'm excited about what we can achieve by correctly implementing all these wonderful technologies. And now Mm -hmm. for the domain of Signavio, this will probably break down into more concrete parts about processes. And maybe I should give a little bit of context there. So SAP Signavio um, is all about digital process transformation. So SAP on, you know, on a very big scale for 50 years was incredibly successful of creating the best and most awesome, most efficient processes for the biggest companies. Um, however, in the last couple of years, and now especially with COVID, we realized that the function of what we want to optimize for is not only efficiency, mm-hmm. but the 21st century asks from everyone to also be more adaptive, be more agile, not just you know agile in the terms like how it works, but rather how malleable are your processes. And Signavi is really at that core idea of making the process world and with it like the biggest corporations more adaptive 
and mm-hmm. for them to make it easier to change. So we would say, don't force people to make a hard change. Make change itself easy, which is incredibly hard and our mission and vision, and then let them do the easy change. And I think here, like AI or machine learning, or data-driven models can help with any step along the process, whether it's the analysis, whether it's uh, the you know, the ability to make meaningful change, whether to understand the implications or the ramifications of change or to control whether it played out in a way that we wanted, right? So along this adaptability goal, you could infuse AI in every little step. And hopefully that is exactly what will happen over the next couple of years. So um, that was a very, very long answer. But as you can see, like there's a lot of things to get excited about. No, I like, uh, beautiful. I think I like the way you completely explained the process when uh, when I was asking this question and how you are getting us, uh, the audience, into the context of today's conversation of this culture of innovation. And when I, and we also, and of course, the way you've put it about how to make change easier so that you can adapt and make things faster. And that is how AI can influence a bit uh, much more. I think, beautiful. I think I would like to maybe take a quick pause before we get into the meat of our conversation. All right, uh, welcome back. So we are getting into a very interesting conversation about how the impact of AI and the culture of innovation and how you can de-risk these uh, great product ideas. So maybe before getting into this, uh, much deeper into this conversation, Lucas, maybe if you could uh, provide some aspects of what does culture mean in this context of innovation uh, so that it will mm-hmm. help the audience. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So... I will add one more thing to the question, right? So we talk about de-risking, we talk about AI, and we talk about culture. Now, why AI? We want to use those, you know, ideas because we feel like right now there's an outsized impact that we can create if we use data-driven technology. And I think we have very good reasons. Mm -hmm. Now, we have to de-risk them typically because... For most organizations, that's not something they have tons of experience with. So de-risking for me is a way of making sure that something that is inherently unknown or harder to do or not as familiar gets the attention up front, that it's easier to incorporate it, and then ultimately turn it into culture. What do I mean by that? So culture, and I will geek out on, on the word for a second here, culture comes from a term cultivare and means the work you do in the garden, right? It's, it's like planting a flower, keeping it alive and, and growing it. And I think that in a way, culture is not something you do once. You say like, hey, I've chiseled those laws into stone and now everybody knows what to do. Culture is all of these aspects that makes sure that everybody in the team or an organization 
has a reference frame and works against the same goals. So if you want to have a, a culture of, you know, like innovation and de-risking, it does not mean to say one time, hey, this is what innovation or de-risking means. It means to constantly every day go in and try to do the right things. And also for me, what's really important is to include everyone. So culture is not for a few people, like innovation and de-risking is part of everyone. Mm -hmm. And now that sounds a little bit, I'm not trying to say hypocritical, but you know, weird because, you know, literally I lead the innovation officer strategic project team, but I don't see the IOSP as we call it as the only part where de-risking and innovation should happen to the country. And that's super important. I see the culture of the organization is innovative and the IOS is helping others to unlock their potential. It's almost like a trainer or a coach. You don't want to centralize innovation. You don't want to centralize culture. What you want to do is have a couple of people who help others to upscale um, or, you know, when there is not enough resources to just go in and, and push a little bit harder. So, what do I mean by culture in that context? I mean supporting an entire organization to get better at the things that create value for their customers. We do believe that outsized customer value can be created with data-driven models. Those are things that are not typically, you know, modes of working or projects that we have like 30 years of experience with. Mm -hmm. So we want to ensure that we have extra, not hoops, but we have extra methodologies to de-risk them smartly. And that is done once again with, by everyone with the support of people who specialize in, in de-risking ideas and methodologies. So that is for me how AI directly traces to culture and how it is you know, enabling an organization and not centralizing efforts, which would be exactly against the you know, the idea or the idea of an innovative culture or organization. You can only be adoptive and agile if everyone is, you know, lives that culture. You cannot put it into the hands of a couple of people. Right, right. So, so this brings up me another question, Lucas. So then do you, so what can, what can you, uh, what can the audience understand or how can you put it this way? So do you, the question is like around, do we have bad culture and do we have good culture or how does it help define good and bad culture? Meaning because there might be instances where uh, you might see these things may not gel well or innovation may not happen. Yes. Well. So could you put some thoughts around that? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, in a way, parts of, um, it, you know, reflects what, what we already said, right? So first of all, like, um, culture is something that will always happen. You cannot avoid it. Um, I think that's, that's, that's important. Another thing is you cannot do culture like once every year. You, it's, and that's why I like, you know, the genealogy of the word. It's the work you have to do every day. Um, I think, if you want to define good and bad culture, 
mostly it's the culture that works for your environment and for the people who live that culture. But specifically or more practically, if you want to have a culture that is good at de-risking and has high ability in terms of adaptiveness and agility, then what you want to establish is a culture of transparency, of feedback, and of including everyone in the organization. So I really think that culture needs to be defined by what you want to create, like what, sh what should be easy, right? What are the things you, what kind of change do you want to make easy? And then you optimize for that. And for me, more specifically in terms of innovation culture or AI, like the biggest original sins, the biggest trapdoors or like things to fall into um, are typically central, you know, centralization. So telling people like this one team will take care of AI. This team is our AI team. Um, that's like for me, one of the prime examples of where, you know, the road to bad outcomes is paved with good intentions. Because you feel like, hey, we need someone who has a little bit more leeway, shouldn't be bogged down by the rest of the company. We have a couple of smart kids. Let's let's them do their stuff. And and I, I understand like the intentions, but the outcome is that you don't ultimately create a culture where big adoption on a broad scale takes place. Yeah. Okay. And maybe one last thing about good and bad culture, it's a moving target. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be something that's continuously evaluated. And um, I think that really is the, the most important part of the managerial class or the leadership team to define what kind of work environment and organization they want to build. And culture is the yardstick and the gauge that, you know, really tells you whether you're on your way or you're missing the mark. So it's constant work, it's everyday work, it includes everyone. And for adaptability, you need transparency, you need feedback, um, and you need to create opportunities to learn um, and disseminate that learning across all bounds of the, the yeah, of the, the organization. Okay, beautiful. I think so. Now this gets me into a very interesting question. And of course, many of the audience also might have a, a similar kind of an interesting question. So does this mean that are the great products discovered or invented when we talk about mm. in the context of the... Yes, um, that's a very good question um, because it really lays the groundwork, right? Like how should we act as an organization? Um, I think these days, most companies should try to discover innovation. What do I mean by that? It sounds a little bit weird, right? Because right. it's an invention. So what do you mean by it should be discovered? I think that there is radical innovation or projects that fundamentally change the way in which organizations work. However, I would say this needs, you know, guidance and a very strong foundation. I would say most companies maybe say they want to have like this type of innovation, but um, 
it's really painful right. to do something which has no reference point and is is you know colliding or changing a lot of incentive schemes and structures in your organization is painful so i would advise and once again it sounds almost like funny in a way that someone who's responsible for an innovation office says don't do innovation do more of discovery work but in a way innovation in its pure sense is very daunting but there's a part of innovation which typically we often refer to product discovery where it's more about understanding what are the things that are that we know will create value Mm-hmm. that we can already see from the shores, right? So to speak in a metaphor, we can already see the value by asking customers, by involving them very early on in our conversations. So let's not try to invent and take an AI technology and see where it leads us, but rather let's go from a problem-centric view, jobs to be done, really understanding your customer and try to use that innovation and technology that we, you know, have access to, to solve the problem. And for me, that's the difference between this explorative, inventive, hey, we have like a model, like whatever, I don't want to, you know, point out any particular ones, but, you know, this generative AI models or versus saying like, what are your problems? And is there a meaningful way to incorporate those technologies that will make your life easier? So I'm a big advocate of going always from the user's perspective mm-hmm. in terms of what is it that the user wants to get done and then see what kind of innovations or te- technological breakthroughs can be really helpful um, or conducive to achieving that goal and really try to curtail the impulse of running with wonderful innovation or technology first. And that's, I think, where the delineation between those two terms can help. Are you motivated because you're so excited about future possibilities, or are you motivated because you feel the agency of really solving a big problem and creating a lot of value for your customers? And I think you should be good at the, you know, at the value creation first, Mm-hmm. and only, you know, uh, walk before you run. Uh, okay. that, that's my, in essence, that's my, my short stick on like, uh, like how I see those two roles and how they complement each other's or two domains. Huh? No, I think right, rightfully, I think you rightfully put that you start with the addressing the problem statement and then how you come up with uh, these AI technologies that can help with this problem statement. Uh, so now going further across this or going further down the lane, like now that we talked about the culture of innovation and now we are slowly getting into the context of AI, of how innovation and AI. So I know we briefly talked about it, but could, if, you, if you would like to elaborate a bit more on how does this innovation uh, and how does this innovation can play a key role in the context of AI technologies or in the context of AI. I understand where we are coming in from with the problem problem statement and how we address it, but, uh, and also maybe to add furthermore, how does big companies really innovate? We always think yeah. that, okay, big companies, innovation in big companies might be tough because there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of teams. 
Yeah. Um, those are now you're starting with the really hard questions, uh, but I'm happy to um, that we're getting to those. Um, in what way does innovation help AI? I think AI is not like one technology or one thing, but it's rather a way of working. And innovation can make it easier, just in the quip that I mentioned about Signavio, don't force people to make a hard change, make the change easy and then let them do the easy change. I think de-risking and innovation management can really help to accelerate the time to value for things that we know have an outsized value because for the first time we can deal with problems of let's say probability where we don't have to have perfect understanding of the domain right where we where ai for instance can really help is if we don't know exactly how to define something but we have experienced results or data that can guide this answer and so in a way innovation management is responsible for turning something that is its own domain, like, oh, this is AI, into something that is just banal and part of the everyday. Um, that sounds less alluring. It sounds less fancy. But I think the real hallmark of success is not that you have AI or that you're capable of doing it, but rather it's just the most boring standard thing that happens because everyone is engaged, everyone is enabled, and it's easy for everyone to do that. And in that way, how do big companies achieve that? Typically, it's very hard for big companies because they have so many incentive structures and big systems. You know, the analogy of a big ocean cruiser, you know, comes up. Um, they have massive amounts of leverage and they, you know, big mass to haul, but it's hard for them to move from in any direction, right? And so what I would say, and I, I want to be a little bit blasphemic here, um, I don't think that big companies typically innovate. And I'm not necessarily sure that that's a bad thing. I think what big companies should focus on is to be fast followers, you know, mm -hmm. to see what really creates value and then bring it to scale. There's this analogy of, you know, different types of people that excel in different environments. And you can, there's a nice article about pioneers, settlers, and town builders. Pioneers are people who forage, who look and, you know, in the wilderness and, and you know, have a certain set of trades whereas town builders focus on different things. And I think for big companies, innovation for them should mean not I'm implementing the latest and greatest technology and I can say like I have this attention model and I have that many parameters that I've trained on, but rather for big companies, for me, innovation means how many people on the world can I enable mm -hmm. to create more value with less effort and in a short amount of time than what was previously possible. So innovation for me, for a big company, means getting it to the masses, scaling it, making it robust, making it compliant, like doing all the things that make it easy for this technology to disappear. Because we have this weird thing about technology. Everything sounds magical in the beginning, and then it becomes mundane. Right. You know, like 
in the 50s, we thought like if a computer can play better chess than a human, then this computer will be sentient, it will be AI, and it will be the future. All right? yeah. Everything will be perfect at that point. You know, in, then came, um, you know, Kasparov and his matchup with Big Blue. And, you know, it, there was no a no general AI. There was no, like, future where computers would talk to us and run around and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, but it became mundane. Like, now saying that a computer plays games better than any human, whether it's chess or any other game, it's just mundane. We take it as given. And I think that is in the best way what big companies should do. They should make magic disappear and just make it as part of the foundational fabric of value creation for businesses and for people. Right, right. No, I like the way you put it and the concept of uh, bringing up the uh, pioneers and the town builders. And also, I also agree that today's AI is tomorrow's mere analytics, right? Mere analytics or insights, because like like you may explain in the 50s, like playing a chess game or something like that is much more uh, competitive for an AI machine. But nowadays, I think it's very simplistic for a machine to do that. So I hope you're enjoying the interesting conversation that we are having with Lucas. Let us take a quick break and come back and continue our conversation with Lucas. Taking this further, this analogy, now comparing it with a human body, or this is where I kind of keep talking when I uh, talk with uh, peers from uh, the different AI community. Uh, uh, we, when I compare it with a human body, yes, we, we say that listening and speaking, where we kind of interact, we say that, okay, we are leveraging conversational AI, and we say that when you're anticipating to some events, maybe we are using some of these technologies like our situation handling or IoT. And then when we talk about thinking behind the scenes, we talk about ML or predictive. And then finally, when you're responding to an event or an action, uh, we talk about the RPA or the process automation. So in a way, we are explaining about these, these key pillars of AI. Uh, so maybe to take our conversation into the uh, automation and the workflow automation or the process automation, could you bring out some thoughts about how does workflow automation or process automation help build better AI or enhance the business processes and make your systems much more usable for the end user? Hmm. Okay. Um, Raghu, you are, you're throwing very big questions in my direction. I love it. Um, but I think we need to um, disentangle a couple of concepts there because it's so much, right? So um, if I miss out some aspect of that question, feel free to follow up, right? But I would say, let's start with what we want to achieve. In the end, when we talk about, let's say, processes, why do we even care? We care because processes are the language of an organization. 
So yes, an organization, first and foremost, are its people. We all know that, right? And that's, that's a given. But in a way, how an organization conducts itself and can repeatedly on a really scalable level deliver value, that's defined by its processes, right? And now we're saying that we want to use AI to create more value and to make the process delivery or processes smarter and better, whether you call it an intelligent enterprise or what exactly. But the key aspect is we want to create more value. Mm -hmm. Any company that works on a big scale works via processes. Of course, there's mission and vision and culture and all these things, but like the, the foundational, the base level are the business processes. Now, if we stick with that, right, then what should, what should that, like, how can that play out? And I think there, your analogy with the human body is really insightful. Because once again, it's, it's not just about like, oh, we managed to put AI into RPA, for instance, so robotic process automation, but rather we made one process more adaptable or more um, personalized in a way, right? Or more contextual. We were able to change a process, um, you know, in, in a smart and easy way that is more democratized. Um, I think here is, is where, where the analogy can, can help the most is um, businesses are defined by their processes we create value by improving processes and biggest value improvements these days seem to be with data-driven technology. And now if you piece it back together, um, things like RPA, for instance, when you said um, it's like acting, this is how a process often manifests because RPA is often an interface between a user and the backend system, right? Um, and you will see that very often the processes that we created historically um, are very inflexible. And that's by design. And that was good, right? But these days we want to make interactions easier. So a lot of the technologies you mentioned, for instance, facilitate the way in which we act with processes. Um, from the Signavio side of things, what we mostly look at are two domains, namely time to insight and time to adapt. So any technology that can decrease the time or speed up the, the time frame it takes for someone to understand what needs to be changed. So I have a goal. I know I want to be more resilient and if a supplier for whatever reason is cut out or can't deliver, I don't want all of my other processes to break down. If I know that, like, what do I need to, in terms of actions and insights to change my process so it's more resilient? So time to insight, how long does it take me to see that something is going wrong, that I understand what are the implications, what are the connected systems, what do I need to do? And then time to adapt. If I know what I want to do, how easy and how fast is it for me to make, to effectuate that meaningful change? And those are two different domains. And roughly speaking, um, IoT, RPA, for instance, those technologies would rather 
fall into the domain of time to adapt. And a lot of the other technologies or domains that you mentioned are about time to insights, to have faster feedback loops and to be more aware of changes, um, whether they originate with people or with the systems or with third party uh, uh, data. I, I often, like um, when I talk with my team, like one thing that I always try to, to look at when we, when we encounter a new problem is to ask, is this a complex or a complicated problem? So mm -hmm. a complicated problem is a problem that just by sheer size and scope, overwhelming. So to give you an example, a cockpit of an airplane is very complicated. But, so I let's say there are so many buttons and so many things you could do. I wouldn't know what to press in what order. Right. However, each button should work deterministically. So mm -hmm. I would hope that when a pilot pushes a button, the same thing happens, right? In, a, in any given sequence, right? However, if a, if a uh, project or sorry, if a problem is complex, it means that maybe there aren't so many buttons. Maybe there is like less things you can affect, but they, their behavior is less predictable. So a sales conversation can be super simple. You sit with somebody else in a room and you talk to the person. Easy. Right. No buttons, no 10,000 page manuals, but you can say the same thing and people will react completely differently, right? So you cannot really predict where something's going. And here, if you have a complicated problem, you divide and conquer. If you have a complex problem, you need to create fast feedback loops. So I would say we're it helps the most using AI and patching it all together is understanding what you want to do, what you need to do in order to get to your results and then have all the capabilities to effectuate those. And, you know, there, you know, your analogy with the human body comes, comes to mind. We want to have ERP systems and SAP to be like the full value delivering service. We want to help companies to achieve their goals, be adaptive, be agile, not just be one thing. So we, we have to think of, of all the parts that go into it. And we want to make sure that ERP systems are not relegated to, you know, records of, you know, the backend systems that just make sure you have a compliant PL and whatnot. Um, I'm sure that, you know, you had a very beautiful metaphor. I'm sure there's things that I glossed over, but I, in a way, that's how I would approach this complicated problem. But it's work in progress, right? We mm -hmm. want to get better at time to insights, time to adapt, and anything that helps is fair game. And data-driven technologies are one of our best bets to get this done. Perfect. I think I like the way you have... Um divided this into the complicated problem and the complex problem while explaining how you handle this. That gives a very uh, detailed understanding of how you can attempt in uh, enhancing the end-to-end -end business processes. So maybe in that context, I would want to, I know you briefly spoke about Signavio, but would you like to elaborate a bit more on the goal of Signavio and how does Signavio is complementing AI and RPA in this complete end-to-end -end process. Uh, yes. 
Okay. Um, I think how I like to pitch Signavio or what we're trying to achieve. And also, this is important to me because in my role as an innovation officer, strategic projects team lead, you know, those are the things that in a way also give rise to why I'm there. Okay. Um, how I would pitch it is companies need to be more adaptive, more agile in the future. Mm -hmm. Most of them sit on a very heterogeneous setup of systems and processes. More and more like the world gets complicated in terms of the technical setup and the process flows. So what we used to call the VUCA world, right? High uncertainty, high volatility and so forth. Um, now is not something that is extraordinary, but rather it's the state of the world. Right. Um, change and uncertainty is not a state of emergency. It's something to be embraced. And in a way, you know, in, in certain like, like often like a crisis and an opportunity can be the same. Mm -hmm. And we now know that like, we will not get out of this in a way like being more adaptive, more agile is something every company will have to do with a more heterogeneous setup and with more complicated processes. We aspire to make, to create more value at a lower price and faster turnaround times. Now, Signavio can help because the systems we created previously for the biggest corporations in the world were more focused on efficiency and durability and robustness than agility. Now we have to bring that in. And I would say digital process transformation is exactly that. To be able to change the value creation of your company in a meaningful way and not flying blindly, right? Mm -hmm. To have quick time to insights, have quick time to adapt and all I, I would hope that everybody else agrees that all of our efforts trend toward this very goal, namely to make it easier for companies to have easy and successful digital process transformations. And now tying it back together with AI, very often the most lucrative or the most interesting projects or problems for companies involve a domain that is not clear cut. If I know exactly the thresholds, like the if this, then that, if I know exactly how I want to react in any given situation, it's very likely that we have either a robust model or simulation or procedure for it. But future value creation will fundamentally include areas that are non-deterministic, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a way, like understanding semantic context, hey, there's a cat in this picture. Oh, when someone said, um, I don't know, like diffusion, they meant the technology and they didn't meant the physical or chemical process. Like these kind of contextual, semantical and personalized insights they need technology which really came about in the last 20 years because of data because of compute and most importantly of better algorithms to deal with all of that and if we want to achieve what i just laid out for signavio 
And if we understand that the biggest value creation very often is in deals that are pushing back against the simplistic way of handling them, then it's clear why AI and other things, other things, why other data-driven technologies are needed. Now, I want to add one more aspect, which is not my main expertise. Let's say we also talked about RPA. I think there, there's a big aspect of mm-hmm. that that is not only about data-driven. It's also about enabling more people to be productive. So what do I mean by that? I think there's a clear tendency for products to be low bar to entry and high skill ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that entail? I think more and more products try very hard to make it easy to get used and then have enough creative freedom or artistic expression. So artistic expression is what I call it. But really what I mean by that is putting the tools into people's hand that what they can effectuate and what they can do with those tools uh, has an outsized impact or lever, right? Um, Creating products that are democratized because more people can use it. You have a lower bar to get into, but a higher ceiling because you can create more value, can affect more parts of the value flow. I think that's really, really important. And building blocks to that is our thing, sorry, our things that are either, you know, low code, no code, RPA. I think if you cut a little bit through those words, what it really means is you, you have to be less of a, an expert in tool usage. Mm-hmm. You just have to be an expert in the problem understanding or its solutions or a domain expert and you get better tools for it. So more people are enabled to do more with their tools. And there are synergetic effects between people who work on the same problem. So what I see is not only data-driven or the democratization of those tools, but also the collaborational aspect of it. If I can create an an insight, benchmark, whatever it is, or let's say a sub-process, and this by itself can be a modular box that can be used by somebody else. This is how we claw our way mm-hmm. from very low level, very tedious change processes to things that are agile, right? Because we, almost like Lego, we can connect everything. However, I want to have a word of caution there because we should not automatically run with this analogy and say, hey, this means our systems need to be you know, fully like connectable, like Lego bricks. I think what we actually want is composability and the ability to work with processes. Mm-hmm. It's really important to get the abstraction layers right. So in the future, what Signavio aspires and what we hopefully will all together achieve is that we are able to create easier bar to entry, higher skill ceiling or impact ceiling, uh, more democratized, more synergetic, and an overall easier way of working with our processes because the processes are in essence that creates value and making them scalable, more agile, and also more composable is the way where we have maybe the biggest unlock in the future. That was a very long answer, but I, I feel like you can say 
Signavio, digital process transformation, you know, it's an awesome answer, but I know that your audience wants to cut through, let's say the, you know, the, the words on top and really wants to get back to the motivations, why there's value creation, in each of those words, and what is the foundational insight that can really, you know, create long lasting, competitive, innovative advantage. Right. Right. No, I, I really uh, agree what you have uh, explained in the process of how uh, all these different building blocks are building into the AI technologies and how Signavio is complementing AI and RPA. And also like you have tied back this whole concept of the culture of innovation. That is beautiful. I think uh, the way you have put it, I think it's really comprehensive. Maybe I'll give the audience a little time to digest that. In the meanwhile, let us take a quick break, come back and do our closing remarks. All right, uh, welcome back. We have been having a wonderful conversation uh, with our guest, uh, Mr. Lucas. So I know uh, time flies by. I didn't even realize that it's almost uh, 40 to 45 minutes that we have been talking on this uh, concept of culture of innovation and how it ties in with the innovation and AI culture and how we also briefly talked about the process automation and SAP Signavio. So now, uh, Lucas, I think, uh, could you provide some closing remarks or key takeaways for the audience? I really thank your time for getting here and talking about these different aspects of AI. I just want to say what I already said before. Thank you so much for having me. I think thought leaders like you who put the bigger context like culture, innovation management, de-risking, bring it together with AI. I think that's really the important part to um, unlock value in the future. Um, thank you for the hard and insightful questions. And um, I guess the only thing left to say other than thank you is, you know, nothing is ever complete and nothing ever stops with a conversation. So if the audience wants to follow up, if they want to, you know, actually rebut my thesis, if they want to comment or tell me like how I'm wrong, I would absolutely love that. So please find me. My name is in the show marks. There will be links to my social media handles, um, but you can you can easily find me, Lucas and Piager, and get into a conversation. I I live from the feedback that the community provides and helps me to get my arguments uh, in a better shape. And thank you so much for having me, and it has been a blast. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks really for your time. Bye bye now. All right, let us now wrap up this interesting conversation that we had with Mr. Lucas on a very different topic of culture of innovation and process automation. With this, we conclude this two-part series of process automation, which we started in the last podcast. I hope you found it useful. And if you have any questions, you can directly reach out to me or to my guest, Lucas when I post this podcast on the various podcast channels. And of course, I'll tag Mr. Lucas and Piagar. 
obviously i'm planning to get lucas back and int interview on other interesting conversations with him you could also search up the other podcasts that i have done in the past by finding out my name raghubanda or searching up by my podcast series machine learning and ai applications as always you can send feedback by reaching me out on my social media channels rk banda on twitter ragu banda on linkedin or alternatively you can reach out directly by my email ids venkata.ragu.banda@sap.com or on my personal email id ragu.banda@ncr.edu I hope you find this conversation interesting. If you have further questions or if you have further interesting topics that you would like me to bring it up, feel free to send me a note on my social media channels or on my email IDs and I look forward to engaging further with the different guests that I'm trying to get on board. Finally, I would like to thank you all the audience wherever you are dialing in from or tuning in from have a very good morning or afternoon or evening and thank you all happy predicting the future with ai technologies and stay safe bye bye now